Thanks, bud. Okay, the question of is who we are in Christ as a community of such incredible diversity. A number of weeks ago, uh, when Pastor Leon last spoke in uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 11, he asked us a question, uh, do we know who we are in Christ? I'd like to visit that same question, uh, but from a little bit different angle, different perspective. I believe Pastor Leon was talking more as an individual. Does Matthew Rojek know who I am in Christ based on what the scriptures say? But I'd like to know, or the question I'm going to ask is, does Mac Avenue know who we are in Christ in relationship with what, what the scriptures have to say? Um, and I, I'm hoping to exegete this thing properly, and that's just a big word that I use to impress you guys in relationship to Mac Ave. But it basically means to critically and properly explain the text. So I, I want to do that. And I've run it by not only the pastor, but my discipler, just to make sure that I've got a grasp on, on what Paul is trying to instruct the Colossians and what Paul's trying to instruct us in. And especially as it relates to Mac Ave. And I'm really excited because I think this passage is very specific to who we are as a church at Mac Ave. The guts of the sermon are going to be we're going to talk a little bit about Paul's audience and how it relates to us as Mac Ave, Paul's intentionality. You know, were these just random words that Paul was talking about? Or is God speaking through Paul very specifics in a very orderly fashion so that we can understand exactly how and who Paul was talking to? We're going to talk about the three how-tos that Paul uh, speaks to the church on how they're to live as a body in community. Uh, The first one is specific attributes. He lists off a number of things. We're going to go through those. A couple of things I want to bring to your attention is Uh, that the attributes and instructions are going to apply not only to us as a local body, which is mainly where we're going to be focused, but it also uh, revolves around our neighboring and our our neighbors. And I want you to notice the interconnectedness of these specifics. Humility and meekness are very related. And this, this is a crux. Heart issues versus actions. A number of months ago when we were in Colossians 2, 16 through 23, Paul's talking and he says, hey, why are you guys going back to these elemental things that were so binding to you, that were men's principles and men's rules? Don't touch this. Don't go here. You can't go to the movies. You can't play cards. can't shoot billiards. And um, as opposed to heart issues, uh, the, the, it says in the second or Colossians 2, Paul says, these things have a pious religiousness that looks like and they sound like that they can help you become a better believer. But it says very clearly that they're completely ineffective, powerless against subduing the flesh. And it's because they're man-made rules as opposed to being born again from the inside out. These things have to come from your heart outward. That's the actions that we're going to be talking about. Uh, The second how-to F.F. Uh, F. Bruce talks about the grace of all graces, basically, which is love. And then in between, we're going to talk about letting peace rule, what I call communal encouragement. And then lastly, Paul sums it up, as he always does, bringing us back to Jesus Christ, that we're to do all things in Christ. I'm going to do a Jonathan Demers. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, Paul's audience. 
Uh, and I want to ask you guys a, a question. I'm going to read verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. Verse 11. Uh, and I, I, I need you guys to help me with this. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What do you guys think Paul's purpose in defining all these people groups are? Help me out. Please help me out. Okay, what's the purpose of it, though? Pardon me? Okay. Chanel? Ding, ding, ding. Good job. Um, okay, so I'm going to define, define it a little bit better. What Chanel said is exactly what I think Paul's trying to do. He's saying it has nothing to do with your heritage, but um, if you look uh, previous to verses 9 and 10, he says, having put on and having put off. And what he's talking about is there's a generic Christian that's no longer bound by a heritage, no longer bound by being born in Jerusalem. This generic Christian is made up of all of these varieties of people groups, and that's what makes up a Christian. Or more importantly, what Paul's talking about here is that's what makes up this new chosenness, this new chosen race, uh, a people group of God. It's not just the chosen ones of Israel. It's not just Jewish heritage. It's all of these people. Um, and, I, and, and here's where I, I really hope you guys can jump in with me. I think it's critical as we're, we're thinking through this, I want to put you guys in this atmosphere of what Paul's doing and what's happening at Mac Ave. He's using diversity, I believe, as a wake-up tool. And by that I mean, if I say to you guys, um, well, let me, let me use Paul's examples. He names all these different people groups, and the Jews are thinking, man, slaves? can be part of this. Gentiles can be part of this. Scythians can be part of this. And Paul, I think, is saying, because we're going through verses 12 through 17, where Paul is instructing us how to live communally as the body of Christ. Why is he doing that? Why is he giving us these specific instructions? Because of the propensity, the opportunity for division because of the diversity. There doesn't have to be division, but you and I both know in this community, in this body, with all the different groups we have, there's a great propensity to have division. And Paul is saying, hey guys, remember all of these different people groups. They are chosen. I'm going to tell you how to live communally so that that division does not, or the diversity does not have to become division. Prejudices and presuppositions. Again, this goes hand in hand with these variety of people groups, as well it goes hand in hand with everybody here. Prejudices, for the most part, I think we all know what those are, and we know that they can be bad. Presuppositions don't necessarily have to be bad, but we've got to recognize that they influence the way we see things, the way we see people, the way we see circumstances. And a presupposition, I'll give you a simple one for me. Before coming down to Mac Ave, I assumed that if you were a conservative Christian, you had to be a Republican. And obviously, that's not the case, but that is the filter that I usually guide things through. You know, somebody tells me they're a Democrat and they're a believer. I'm all like, wow, you, you sure you are? And I would say that in my mind, 
I would say that in my mind. Of course, I would never say that to the person. But that's a real simple one. But all of us have these presuppositions because we were raised in Grand Rapids and we've been surrounded by a reformed culture. Or we were raised in Detroit and we're surrounded by the culture of Detroit. We see things through these lenses. And you look at, turn around and you guys look at all the different people groups that we've got in here, not just black and white, but we've got common manual laborers like me, and we guys got, we got guys working on PhDs. And man, I'll tell you what, I mean, that's a cool thing, but it also is an opportunity for us to make sure that we're serving one another, loving one another, one, loving one another, crushing down our prejudices, and, and searching out what our presuppositions are, if they're healthy or if they're not, because they need to change if they're not. Okay. One more thing, I'm trying to put you guys in this atmosphere of what Paul's doing, so we're going to digress. You guys know Peter, and I'm assuming most of you guys know the story. Peter's going to lunch, decides to go up on the rooftop for a little prayer time in between, goes into a trance, a sheet or a handkerchief comes down, and there's a bunch of animals in it. Some are animals that Peter was allowed to eat being a Jew, some were not. They were unclean. And uh, he hears his voice, arise and kill, arise, kill and eat, Peter. And Peter, recognizing that it's the Lord, says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never eaten anything common. My Jewish heritage doesn't allow me to do that. And God says to him, do not call unclean that which I've called clean. So Peter's scratching his head. It happens two more times to repeat this exact same vision at the end of the vision. God says, hey, there's going to be some guys coming. They're sent for me. I want you to go with them. Peter goes down, knock on the door. Some servant dudes come in say, hey, Cornelius sent us. They spend the night. Next day, they go to Cornelius' house. Peter and some of the boys walk in. Peter says, hey, you know what? I really shouldn't even be here. I'm Jewish. I'm clean. You're unclean. You know, what do you want me? What do you want? Cornelius says, God spoke to me to call for you because I understand that you have the words of God. So Cornelius and all of his friends or family are there. And right before his very eyes, Peter sees salvation come to the Gentiles. He begins preaching, and it says very clearly in the scriptures that they could see the salvation coming down on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit filled them. Some spoke with tongues. I'm sure there were other kinds of evidences that Peter and the boys see. And Peter proclaims, wow, now that I see God has created you to be clean. He's created you to be chosen. Okay, so remember this picture. The night before, Peter has three visions that he knows are from God. He calls back, Lord, I've never done this. So he recognizes that it's God. And then the next day, he sees the fulfillment of this thing. Okay, now let's fast forward a couple of books, a couple of chapters, a couple of months. Galatians. Peter's out hanging with the Gentile guys, eating, having a good time. And all of a sudden, this group of Jews comes in. And what does Peter do? He removes himself from these Gentiles because he's afraid and because of his prejudice and his presuppositions of who really is chosen. So here he's got three visions. He sees the outpouring of God on the unclean, making them clean, making them chosen, and yet Peter reverts back to his old kind of Jewish mindset. And then just to give you another Example, 
Scriptures talk about the Gentiles being grafted in. Here's another place where the unclean became the chosen. And the Scriptures talk about being a Jew inwardly. It's not a flesh circumcision, but it's a spiritual circumcision. We just saw that in the second uh, chapter of Colossians. And Christ's spiritual circumcision, chapter 2. Okay, Paul's intentionality. Um, as we read verse 12, uh, you know what? Let's, uh, give me one sec. No, we're going to read that a little bit later. Anyways, um, God through Paul is, I, I believe, speaking very specific uh, with explicit intentions. And he uses one body later on. Uh, you know what? I'm sorry, guys. You've got to help me. I've got to make sure I'm in my notes in the right spot. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Okay, let's talk about the specifics. And one thing, again, is I'm not going to get into the details of each specific because, again, I don't want to get into the rules of regulations of telling you guys, hey, you know, four Mac groups, four, or four corner stores a, a year, three Mac groups, you have to participate in either Mac Sports or Mac Lit. That's not what I'm here to instruct you with, and neither is Paul. Paul's here is going to be talking to, about heart issues. You guys have to figure out in your walk with the Lord how those things are going to be expressed out. And you know what? I did... uh, Boy, are these... Yeah, guys, I'm sorry. I think I got these kind of in. Okay. Uh, Josh, would you mind getting up and reading what I asked you to? Please. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Excellent. Thanks very much. Um, so verse 12 uses two different words. In uh, I think it's King James, it says, therefore. Uh, in the ESV, it says, put on then. When you see those words, you've got to go backwards to find out what Paul is referencing. So I had Josh read a couple of things. Um, first of all, when Paul says, put on then or therefore, the therefore refers back to 11. 11 says that there's neither Greek nor Jew, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free. And then, but when he says here then, again, we've got to take another step backwards. And what is this here? And the here is putting off, putting on. So I would, I, I'd encourage you that the here is an environment of chosen believers from this variety of groups who have, like Chanel said, they've put off and they've put on Christ. They are the resurrected, chosen ones of God, regardless of the people group. Um, okay, now we can move forward. One last thing. Um, Paul's very specific, I think, in verse 12 when he says, Put on then, as chosen ones of God, holy and beloved. He doesn't just say, Put on then these things. I think he reiterates. 
to the Colossians, and I think he reiterates to you and I, put on then as chosen ones of God, he's reiterating to them all these different heritages, all these different people groups are chosen ones. You are no longer the singular chosen race from the Lord. So some of the specifics are compassionate hearts or bowels of mercy. Uh, some of the stuff I got out of F.F. F. Bruce uh, in the Old Testament, the bowels of mercy look like God's persistent refusal to wash his hands of Israel. We know how many times Israel was an idolatrous nation, how many times they acted out in unbelief, how many times they disobeyed him in the specifics. And the idea is God did not wash his hands of them. When I was preparing for this, I thought, what was the other example of washing your hands that you guys remember? Pontius Pilate. He says, man, I'm clean of the Lord's blood by washing his hands, the symbolic nature of it. It's the favor of superior to inferior, all undeserved. And then I thought this was kind of cool. It appears that there's a common uh, origin of the word for mercy to the, the word for womb. And what it's, what it's denoting is that there's a motherly, caring instinct associated with compassionate hearts or bowels of mercies. Now, most of you guys are uh, young, just starting to raise your kids, but I will tell you that uh, my wife has absolute, absolute compassionate hearts. We just visited our three grandkids, and she was in heaven. And they cried, and man, she was right there to protect them. My daughter Martha has kissed all three of those babies, I mean, tens of thousands of times. So again, get into this picture of what a compassionate heart is. And then, again, I think this thing hits the nail on the head. Compa- uh, compassion to one in need or helpless, distress, debt, or without claim to favorable treatment. And I think, man, if there's one thing that denotes the peoples of Detroit is they have no claim to favorable treatment. I mean, I just thought that was such a perfect word picture. You know, I can say when I was living in Canton, I paid my taxes, we paid association dues. I had a claim to, hey, you guys need to shovel my walk. You need to take my garbage out. I've got a college degree. You need to respect me a little bit. I'm a business owner. I have some rights here. But think about most of the people that you and I are going to come in contact with Detroit. They don't have those same claims to favorableness. And, and the, the, the point that I'm trying to make in that is if we don't step in, if we're not there to help them, who's going to do it for them? They don't have a voice. Oh, let me go back. The other thing John MacArthur brought out is this thing is a gut instinct. You know, why do you think they put starving children on the TV for you to gain your money? Man, your stomach hurts. You're, you're literally in pain. It's a gut reaction. And the question I would have for you is, will the sorrows that we see around us, will they develop mercy in us or will they develop callousness? And I pray that it never develop callousness. I pray every time we see a homeless person, I pray every time we see one of the neglected or poor in Detroit or our brother or sister in this church suffering, I pray that that breeds a heart of mercy. Kindness, just simply having our neighbor's well-being as important as our own. And these are just usually brought out in thoughtless or thoughtful gestures. We all know that we're going to be taken advantage of, but the question I ask you is, let's just remember where our reward is coming from. It's not going to necessarily come from the people or the circumstances or the situations that we assist in. Our reward is in heaven, but we need to continue to remind ourselves of that. 
And the other thing is, um, you know, I want to encourage MacAv that we are sowing seeds that most likely are not going to be seen in our lifetime. Now, of course, our prayers are that that's going to happen, but we've got to recognize there's a pretty substantial spiritual stronghold on Detroit. The hearts that are hardened are really hardened. It's not just a softness. There is so much demonic grippage on the lives of the people that we're discussing here that I just want to encourage you, recognize that your seeds are being sown. Recognize the Lord's desire is to water those things and to break through the hearts and to break up the fallow ground and to see growth from that. But do not be discouraged if you don't see sprouts springing up. We can be guaranteed that as we're sowing, at some point in time, God is going to bring a harvest to Detroit. Maybe not that we see, maybe not in our lifetime, but we, as obedient children, sowing the seeds of righteousness, God is going to bring a harvest. Do not forget that. Humility. Uh, I was reading in the New Testament uh, or Old Testament survey and some other commentators, there was no Greek word for it because to be like humble back then uh, was wrong. You were supposed to be braggadocious. You were supposed to be arrogant. You told of all of your great deeds. I just thought that was interesting. And then uh, John MacArthur says that it's an antidote to self-love. And um, I wanted to give you guys an example. Um, Betty and I have a, a kind of like a little saying when we're talking to each other or whatever. We kind of find ourselves talking about us. And, and kind of bragging about us. And so we'll joke or the other person will joke and say, oh, so it's all about you. And this is, you know, humility is the antidote to it being all about us all the time. Uh, the definition is the virtue lies in the acceptance of the experience so that a condition imposed from without becomes the occasion for the development of the corresponding action within, attitude within. Lots of big words. The bottom line is a month ago, I pulled up in my driveway and I look at Betty's car and there's a sawzall blade laying on the concrete and I'm like, hmm, what's this? So I get underneath the car and they had sawzalled off or catalytic converter and they didn't even bother taking the sawzall blade away. So an outside, you know, something outside of my realm happened to me, which is the experience that a condition imposed from without, from without can become the occasion for the development of a corresponding attitude within. What is that corresponding attitude going to be? Am I going to be ticked? Am I going to pack up and move out of here? Am I going to be frustrated? Or am I going to say, man, the people of Detroit have been living with this a lot longer than I have. I've only been here a year. Much, much worse has been done to many other people. So again, there's going to be things that happen to us neighboring well in this community, in this body. Are we going to allow those things to develop a righteous attitude in us or a non-righteous attitude? And I called it, if you, I don't know if you guys saw the last thing, spiritual weightlifting. We're growing our spirit, man, plain and simple. Meekness, willingness to suffer injury rather than inflict it. If someone has to lose or suffer, let it be me. Uh, could somebody grab Galatians 6.1 and just stand up and read it, please?
Yeah, the idea, restore with gentleness. You know, as I see my brother here sin, you know, be careful how strongly you chastise him because you and I both know we are subject to that exact same sin or another one equally as well. Restore with gentleness and meekness your brother. Again, the question is, who's going to bear the burden of Detroit's woes? And again, I, I hope this, I, I don't mean this to sound condescending. I don't mean to sound like we're like Superman, super church here. But you and I are standing in the gap for those that don't have a voice, that don't have a claim to favorable treatment. Before Betty and I moved down here, before we even made up our mind to move down here, I was at a pool party next to Vouts. And we're sitting around the table talking, and one of the guys was talking that somebody had come by and like had pulled up a bunch of their fence slats. And so they had to go out and buy a new fence and replace them and everything, and it was a real bummer. And this guy's talking, and all of a sudden he says, but you know what? Like That's why we're here. Not to retaliate, not to pack up and move, not to you know padlock, padlock our fences, but just to realize, hey, man, if that's a small price I can pay in love, being out there whistling, putting those boards back in, not, you know, scanning the area to see if it's going to get done again. Patience. Regardless of opposition, patience wanes on. Long-suffering. And the thing that I, I wanted to bring about here, patience, that I'd encourage you guys on, I think there's maybe like three different realms of patience that we have to participate in. First one is patience with ourselves. You know, most of us are fairly new to this whole thing. And uh, we're not going to do it right every time, whether it's pushing back, whether it's witnessing to our neighbor, whether it's participating in corner stores. Be patient with yourself. Trust the Holy Spirit to continue to work in you, lead you and guide you and develop character in you. The other thing that we've got to be patient with is one another. You know, when Jonathan Demers does not return my phone call or forgets to send me my email back after the second or third time. And he really hasn't. I'm just using Jonathan, but... You know, am I going to be patient with him? And that's what we need to really participate in. Giving the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak into the lives of those around me without jumping on them. And the last one that we've got to be patient with, and again, I hope, I hope this doesn't sound sacrilegious, I think we've got to be patient with God. I mean, how many of us here say like, man, Lord, what the heck are you doing? Why aren't you raising up Detroit? Why aren't you causing those seeds that we know we've sown to grow? Why do people leave discipleship? Why does this stuff happen? And yet we trust in God's sovereignty. We trust that he loves Detroit way more than we do. Forbearance. Um, You know what? I'm going to read that real quick. Or did I have... Andrew, was that you? Andrew, read the very, just first, like, what, three or four words? Bearing with one another. Blank. Stop. Okay. Bearing with one another. Then after that, it says, and if someone has an accusation against you. So let's just deal with that first part. Again, another thing that I want to encourage the body in is there needs to be an area of forbearance where we are in awkward circumstances and situations all the time that are not sin. There's weird stuff that happens. We just spent 10 days with my daughter and son-in-law. There were a lot of awkward moments. And they were not sinful moments. We had some hard, hard, 
hard conversations. We said things, they said things, trying to figure out the, now they're grown kids and we're, you know, we're still their parents, but they're growing. So there's going to be awkward situations and circumstances that we're going to have as a body with your discipler, your disciple, your Mac group that are not sin. This is where forbearance comes in. This is where the gentleness of forbearance comes in. And I'd hope to have these come in at three a time, but they didn't. So, uh, you know, three things that we can do in this middle of forbearance is press on. Don't get to this, you know, impasse of awkward situation and stop until there's like some perfect resolve or until this person comes and repents or, or whatever. Man, just keep walking. Just keep walking down the path of righteousness in community. The other thing is when it's appropriate, push back. And again, that's not necessarily saying you sinned, anything like that. You say, hey, brother, did you realize, like, you know, man, you know, after three emails, you, you, you didn't email me back. What's going on? Did I miss something? Have I hurt you? Have I offended you? There's an opportunity for pushback. And lastly, abounding in grace. Abounding in grace. That's what I think is going to set this community apart, to be graceful people. Forgiving one another. We all know what measure we've received. We deserve eternal punishment, eternal torture, death. We do not, we do not deserve forgiveness. But because of Christ Jesus, death on the cross, we've all received forgiveness upon forgiveness upon forgiveness, not only for my past sins, but for my future sins. So I just encourage you guys, be forgiving people. Go the higher road. The measure that's been dealt to you, I'd encourage you to deal out to others. And then I'm going to read verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, it appears to me that Paul is doing like a sifting factor here. We started out with these principles, humility, meekness, forbearance, forgiveness, And then Paul says, yeah, but you know what? Put on top of it what F.F. Bruce calls, put on the grace which binds all other graces together, the crowning grace of love. So I don't know if this is a proper interpretation here, but give me a little bit of leeway. I'm almost wondering if Paul is saying, hey, guys, if this is too complicated for you, if these words are too big for you, if there's too many of them, you know what? You can just set those aside and instead you could put on love because love's essence is made up of all of these things. All of these things are graces and love is not only the crown of those graces, but I believe it's the uh, totality of those individual graces put together. So again, to me, Paul's winnowing this thing. He's narrowing it down. He's sifting it down. First uh, Corinthians uh, thirteen thirteen talks about faith, hope, love. This is after all of the definitions of what love is, and he says, "What the greatest of these is love." Again, it's the crowning grace of grace. Uh, Romans thirteen nine and ten basically talks about all the commandments are summed up in these two: love your neighbor as yourself, and love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love can incorporate and encompass all those things, and it's something we can rely on. Let peace rule. 
And it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So my question to you is, how can Christ's peace rule in our hearts? I'm going to tell you, like, let's talk about maybe two different situations. When we've done all of those meekness, kindness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love, and maybe the situation still isn't resolved, how can we be at peace with that? Or how can we be at peace in this body as an individual, knowing full well that the road ahead for us is going to be fraught with fears and frustrations and temptations and sorrows and grief. Because I can guarantee you, living here, those things are in our path. So how can we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? And I tell you a couple of things. One of my favorite verses is in Hebrews. And it says, let us fear, lest the promise of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it, not mixing faith with what you've heard. We need to exercise faith. As I said once again, God is much more concerned about Detroit than you and I are. We have responsibilities to this community. We have responsibilities to this body. But we need to recognize how much more does it grieve the Father's heart to see the sorrows of Detroit? Our responsibilities have been laid out clearly before us. That's why we're here. That's why this is a communal body of diversity. We've come together to love one another, to show the community that it can work to show that whites and blacks can get along and not try to kill each other. We can love each other. We can recognize that everybody in this room has prejudices, presuppositions. That's why we're in discipleship, so that Alvin can speak into my life and say, Matthew, you missed this by a mile. You can be a Democrat and be a Christian. He can speak to those things in my life that he sees as being untruths. And the community is going to see as we walk in love, as we walk in patience, as we walk in forbearance, they're going to see Christ Jesus. Those are the seeds we want to plant. Unity of the body. You know, it's just so cool to know that I am 100% convinced at any given moment I could call any one of you guys and you'd be at my doorstep. And I've never been in a place like that. The unity of this body, and again, the thing that's so cool about that is whether you're a common laborer or whether you're a Ph.D. candidate, we all have a place in this body. And without every single one of us participating in the body, the body is not complete. The body is not whole. So for those of you who think you don't have anything to offer this church... For those of you who are frustrated about that or you're frustrated that your part is real small, man, rejoice that you're part of this body. Thankfulness. I'm going to show you later on we're going to talk. There's three different places here that Paul talks about thankfulness. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out how this all blends in. I guess for me the reality is I'm thankful to be part of this body. I'm thankful to be part of people who are thirsting and hungering after righteousness. They're thirsting and hungering for someone to speak into their lives and to speak into other people's lives. You know, I absolutely hate 
above everything else, confrontation. Man, my stomach is so wrought with acid when I even think about having to confront somebody. But the reality is this body has taught me how to properly do it. And that the reality is, it's so ironic, the reality of it can be joy. The reality of it can be growth. I told you we just visited my son-in-law and daughter. And man, we had some hard, hard words and conversations where my daughter was in tears. I mean, weeping and sobbing. And, you know, she said, Dad can like, how, how can we get past this? And we prayed and continued to talk about it. And the next day, the Holy Spirit just descended on that thing. And, man, I mean, it was joy. But it was like getting sucker punched in the stomach. But the, the life that grew out of that confrontation has bound us together stronger than we ever have been, has raised the level of our relationship again from, you know, my little baby girl to a grown woman. I mean... Same thing in this body. Confrontation is not an easy thing, but it's a necessary thing for this body to continue to grow. We are a diverse, communal community, and there's going to be headbutton, but Paul assures us, Paul assures us that as we walk in these things, as we crown this thing in love, we're going to grow as one generic body of God's chosen. Communal encouragement, boy, sorry. Uh, We'll wrap this up. Communal encouragement um, begins with the individual but extends communally. This is the part where it talks about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This begins with the individual. Every single person in here better be reading the scriptures, better be working with their discipler, better be working with their disciplee, and growing as an individual because as that happens... The body does nothing but just grow stronger and better and more suited and well-fitted. And I'd love to take time to go through these, but uh, I'm not going to do that. But let me just say that uh, it's an encouragement to me if you think about having the heavenly communication that would breed in this community a like-minded body of believers as we're teaching one another, as we're exhorting one another, as we're encouraging one another, as we're singing to each other in spiritual songs and hymns. I mean, the thing that I, I think was so cool is that's the point of the discipleship notebook. It brings us all on the same page. So as we're speaking the word of God and the word of truth to each other, we're exhorting each other, we're like-minded, we're working as a unified body. And then lastly, to me again, this is the final sifting of what Paul's done. We've gone from specifics to love covering that whole thing to the final sifting. What does Paul always do? What do the readers or what do the authors of the New Testament and Old Testament always do? They point us to Christ. And that's the point of where we're at today. All of these things are to point us back to Christ Jesus, who is the head of this diverse body. And lastly, verses 15, 16, 17 all include the thank all, all include thankfulness. And I just ask you, are we thankful? to be part of this community? Are we thankful for Martin Nishke's difference, Jonathan Demer's difference? Are we thankful for that? And are we able to process through that and be grateful that Ken Morgan has dreadlocks and that him and I have become pals, which would have never, ever, ever 
seen the light of day unless we're in this community. I'm thankful for my brother. I'm thankful for every one of you guys as this diverse community, as we grow in grace, knowledge of our Lord and Savior, and as we live this resurrected life. So today we're going to participate in uh, tithe and offering as well as communion. So if the guys who are going to do the tithe baskets would uh, get them, that'd be good. So for those of you, it looks like there's some new people here. We'd ask that if you are new, we'd ask please hold on to your wallets, hold on to your money. That's not what we're about. We're about welcoming you into this community, telling you how much we love you, and we'd love for you to join with us, but we'd ask you just keep your wallets by your side. If you're a MacAv person, you recognize this just as a continuation of worshiping the Lord, honoring Him uh, with the first fruits of our substance. So I'd encourage you to give generously. Uh, without compulsion to the Lord. And then afterwards, we're going to take communion. So the people will come up to have the elements.